lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Go. Welcome. From the deep, dark bowels of the internet, from the depths at which Mothman resides, perhaps even within the bowels of a very well-known psychic expert, residing somewhere in the vicinity of Seattle. This is <laughs> The Outer Edge. Uh, how you doing, Tim? I'm doing alright. Uh, here in the, uh, in the deep, dark caverns where only the NSA resides. Yeah, actually, we've got Mothman in a cage in the corner, and Tim, it's your turn to change his papers. Oh, no, 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 not me. It's disgusting. <laughs> He's it disgusting. Is. He's vile. He's slovenly. That's what he is. Mothman <laughs> is slovenly as hell. He That's true. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. We know who's. We know who needs to take him back. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it ain't me. I'll tell you that. You know, let's just let's just open the cage and he can spread his wings. Yes, Mothman produces mucho guano. <laughs> so he needs to go. But anyway, it is Sunday night where I am, Monday morning where Tim is, September the 7th, 2014, September the 8th where Tim is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're here, man. We're ready to rock. We're ready to have fun. We're ready to talk. We're ready to just hang out. We've got a really great guest tonight. Tim, how you been doing? Uh, doing well, Mike. Doing well. It's, yeah. uh, it's once again, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on the outer edge. Yes, as we sit in our lair and Tim <laughs> contemplating the mutual destruction of mankind. That's right. As we plot <laughs> many sinister, sinister things. Apparently, apparently, we plot sinister things, and we're we're uh, conspiring against those who communicate with Mothman through their rectums. So. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> apparently, there's some sort of big spy issue, and every, everybody in ufology is a spook. Everybody's right. a spy. Everybody who <laughs> studies anomalous phenomena is really a disinfo agent of the MIB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Uh, I, I tell you oh something. God. If 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 that was the case, I sincerely doubt that I would be living. Um, in <laughs> southern Indiana. Really? You know, I heard I heard that little rumor, and I said, "Where are all my paychecks going? Yeah, Where's all yeah. my my MIB NSA or whatever? If I'm making all this money, where is it? Because I sure ain't seeing it, man. Somebody is 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 hijacking my paycheck every week." So, you know. Oh, I know, I know. I mean, I think I'd have a lot better health plan, too, if that was. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> if that was the case. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, man, here, here's the thing. If you're going to publish books, don't publish other people's books without their permission. And then you won't have to go around making up rumors about them and calling them names like uh, MIB agents and their friends. Friends like you and I, Tim. All, their fri- all of his friends are 
disinfo agents. And then this guy goes in there rant about everybody all the way back to apparently uh, Gunga Din being uh, uh, disinfo agents of the MIB working for the royal family. What the hell the royal family got to do with anything? I don't it's just, you know. I mean, some people uh, what? seriously need some lithium. Seriously. Oh, yeah. I think uh, more than lithium. Yeah. <laughs> but once again, you know, if I was an underground operative for the royal family, yeah. why am I living in southern Indiana? <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Where's, here's where the thing. is my... Uh... <laughs> Go ahead. Where's, where's, your, where's your nice new swimming pool? That's right. But here's the thing. Think about this. If there is an individual out in the realms, in the bowels of the internet, and he's going around uh, ripping people off and then getting angry when he gets called on and then going crazy on all the UFO researchers in the world, all the Fortean researchers, all the uh, strange phenomena researchers and making up all these things about people. Could it be, could it be that actually the best disguise for an MIB operative disinfo agent is to hide in plain sight and claim that everybody else is an MIB operative disinfo agent. Of course, this guy also well, claims he talks to Mothman, so there you go. Yeah, that's right. You know. yeah. Why, yeah. why, Mike, I think you, I think you may be on to something. <laughs> you know, you know like, like Bugs Bunny used to say, what a maroon. That's right. Now, let's let's just let's just leave it at that. We'll let's yeah, we'll just we'll just drop it and and uh, just let the bar bad karma dissipate. Oh, it's hilarious! Know. Look, yeah, man, you know what? It, it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, watching a train wreck on an instant replay. You know, it's like mm-hmm. every time you see every time you watch it, you see something different. You know, was that an arm? <laughs> <laughs> How's everything with the Conspiracy Journal? How's everything in Tim Wor- Tim's world? Tim's world. Tim's world. That's right. Well, uh, Conspiracy Journal is running a little late getting out this week, as unfortunately I have been experiencing pretty bad computer problems. Uh, fortunately, uh, my wife, who is a IT genius, <laughs> oh, really? that always helps. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it it, it 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 really does. She was able to once again resurrect my computer from from the dead today. I mean, it uh um it it was working fine working fine this morning and then I I dared, you know, uh uh, uh take a few hours off and do a little kayaking at uh, you know, on the uh, on on the Potoka River today and when I came back it was uh, it was showing the blue screen of death, and Dude, get all the back. get him uh, back. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, everything that I have is PC based. Yeah, and so, all the software we do for the show too. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, every everything that I have is PC based, and you know, and and all of my knowledge, you know, for for. Years and years is based on you know PC, so yeah, it's just it's 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 gonna have to be seen. But you know, fortunately, my wife, uh, after a few hours of cussing and cursing, was able to bring it back to life again. And you know, fortunately, it will stay that way uh, for the rest of the show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as we're talking. So as if uh, yeah, as I say, you know, as long as the Dero aren't listening, that's right. <laughs> and speaking of, speaking of the Dero. 
There's a new book out on uh, Shaver's artwork by Richard Toronto. Richard Shaver's Shaver Mystery, for those of you who don't know about that, uh, about Richard Shaver. Well, I don't have time to go into it right now, but uh, there's a very interesting new book out, uh, first of two volumes on his artwork. Now, as far as I know, I, uh, Shaver himself and Palmer did uh, did a book on uh, his work called uh, The Secret World. Secret World, yes. Back Great. In, what was it, 71, 72, something like that? Something like that. Just like a yeah. huge, huge hard copy, like yeah. the size yeah. of an encyclopedia. Yeah, great book, great book. Very weird, very interesting. And then another guy, hmm, what was his name? Hmm. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, it was me. Came out with a book called This Tragic Earth, which shows a bunch of stuff that has never been seen before. And it's proprietary to me because I own it. And I actually had this uh, these slices of rock that Shaver had. There are photo exposures he made by shining light through... Uh, thin slices of rock onto mm-hmm. photosensitive material, actually photo paper. And I have a whole bunch of them, and I scanned them in at like, you know, 800 dots per inch. And then I went in the, into Photoshop, and I found the most weird stuff in there. And I'm talking about stuff that looks like holographic imagery from inside those rocks. And so I put a book together on this topic and on other parts, aspects of his art, articles that he himself wrote about his his uh, rock books and stuff, and a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And the book's called This Tragic Earth. So uh, that's out there. But then Richard Toronto just came out with a, another one called Rock Fogo. Rock Fogo. Rock Fogo, uh, yes. And it's there's volume one, and volume two will be coming out. And it's very interesting because Richard knew, Richard Toronto knew Richard Shaver. Um, and they corresponded, and, and he owns a lot of stuff that was Shaver's. Stuff that kind of like the stuff I had in this tragic earth that has never been seen before, but in his case, there's going to be a lot of paintings, a lot of drawings and paintings based on the rock images, not just the rock images. So it should be really interesting. There should be some color plates in there. So uh, that's that. I thought that was a pretty cool development. Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, uh, to get Richard uh, on our show. Yeah, uh, Sue. We had him on uh, uh, our, our our previous show, which shall remain unnamed. Yes, <laughs> that's because we had really good guests, just like we do now. That's right. That's right. So I'm I'm hoping that Mr. Toronto uh, will be able to uh, um, come on really soon. Now that the first edition has been published, he had told me a couple months ago that uh, you know he would he would like to wait till that book came out. So I just need to get back back a hold of him and see if I can schedule the time. Yeah, yeah, we need to get him on here. Right, right. So, yeah. and, uh, and, 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 I, and he's a good guy. He he and I have corresponded for a long, long time. And in fact, he sent me some very, uh, very good stuff that went in, into my book on Shaver's artwork, including some photos that he had taken himself of Shaver. And so, you know, that's that's cool. Um, you know, old Richard Shaver in his studio surrounded by his rock book pictures. Pretty cool images. Um but, uh, yeah, Rich is a good guy. Richard Tor- Toronto is a good guy. And er- I think that uh, uh, everybody should, should def- definitely check out his new book. And while you're at it, why don't you go out and get a copy of This Tragic Earth? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Which is a you great know, book. Uh, Tim Beckley always takes delight into uh, uh, saying that uh, when, he was, uh, when he was still just a teenager, I guess Shaver used to send Beckley um, – boxes of these rocks that uh, that they, you know that he said that you know he could see pictures on and yeah. that and that Beckley's mom was just 
get so mad because of these boxes. He's, yeah, she said, you know, these boxes full of uh, uh, dirty rocks, <laughs> you know, would come to their house, and she, and she would just throw them out in the backyard. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I know. So there's an ancient rock library from ancient Atlantis laying in a backyard in West Virginia somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. No, uh, blah, blah, blah. I think they they might have been living in New Jersey at the time. Okay, they're in New Jersey. So, yeah. Somewhere in New Jersey, yeah. There's, Somewhere there's there, somebody has <laughs> moved some dirt around, and now there's a bunch of these ancient rock books which just look like ordinary rocks to the untrained eye. Uh, well, that's, on, top you know, of, on top of Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> you know, Beckley always said that to him, it just looked like that Shaver just went out with a shovel and just, you know, just, just dumped a bunch of rocks and dirt into these boxes and would mail it to him. Yeah. But you know, one thing about it is, honestly, I mean, you've seen my book, This Tragic Earth. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are, there are some images from those slices of rock exposures he did that are inexplicable. There are some things in there that just look like photographs, and they're in the rock. It's really strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he he, cl- he claimed, of course, that they were holographic books. You know, that they were uh, um, that if you had the right technology, you could load them in the device, and you could play back, like I guess, like immersive three D sound and pictures. You know, mm-hmm. but now they're just rocks. And you know, the more we learn about crystal holography and crystal data storage. You have to wonder. You have to wonder if he wasn't on something. So. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it would be it'd be along the same lines of somebody who had no idea like what uh, um, what a motion picture uh, a, a reel would look like. You right. Know, and they you know, they take take like a light and see like the individual frames. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Not realizing that if you had the proper machine that you could. Uh, uh, Put those in and and produce a movie. So exactly. that's basically that's basically what Shaver was saying that uh, these rocks were the remnants of some kind of you know holographic uh, uh, recordings, and that you know uh, we're just seeing like bits and pieces of uh, of like like the motion picture you know right, uh, frame, exactly. frames. So. And it's really weird because when you look at it, it, it it as you look through, for instance. When I was looking through the bigger slices and, and finding all these weird images, you know, at first you're thinking, well, you know, if it's pareidolia, mm-hmm. you might find like two or three. But it's not like that. It's like in each slice you're finding image on image, and they're overlaid with each other. Right. Like, like they would be if they were data storage in a crystal. So it is very weird. It's very strange stuff. But, you know, it's pretty funny because uh, this has been a weird week for me in terms of finding stuff, so – yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, you've uh, um, uh, made an interesting discovery. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 about three or four days ago, I was out walking my dog. I have dogs outside, but I have a dog inside, too. And, and so we were out jaunting about, and uh, I walked over to a hillside. Now, look, I live in a, a uh, let's say it's a rural area now, and uh, it's very wild in some areas in some parts i mean it's you know it's it's a rural area so i walk off to this hillside up behind a barn and i see this rock sticking out of the ground and it looks like it's about the size of a brick and kind of like the shape of a brick and i'm thinking what the heck is that so i go over there and i start digging at it and it's like really big it's bigger than i think so i go and i get a a a, a spade and I come back and I start digging away at the edges and around, and it's going even further 
down into the ground. So then my son comes out. I say, hey, man, I said, I said, go get me a shovel. So he goes and gets the shovel. And we dig this thing up. And it's a big, weird-looking rock. It's kind of wedge-shaped with a flat end. The small end is flat, which was the end I could see angled out of this hill. So I take it back to my door where I keep my rocks because that's what everybody does. So <laughs> I, I put it down out there, and I, I clean it. Well, first I take it. We, we leave it, leave it outside overnight and it rains real good you know it rains really heavily on this rock overnight so all the dirt's washed off of it and it go the next morning and there it is it's like clean so i take it it's, and it's hefty you know it's like a good 25 30 pound rock hmm. so we we're looking at it and i go set it by my door and that i guess the next day my girlfriend was over we we're hanging out you know and outside and it was late in the day, and the no, actually it was evening, and the uh, a light, an outside light is shining from an angle, and all of a sudden she says, "Hey, look at this." She says, "This, this looks like a footprint," hmm. and I look at it, and lo and behold, the shadows coming from the light reveal that indeed it is a footprint. It seems to be a footprint uh, fossilized in, in sandstone or limestone. And very dense for, for sandstone, very thickly packed. But there's what looks to me like a big toe. And then the four smaller toes, there's the ridge right behind the toes. And it's like a huge footprint. It looks a lot like a Bigfoot cast is what it looks like. Right. Print cast. But um, the next day I take it out, and it's about, I guess, you know, 6, 6.30. And the sun's real low, but it's real bright. And the shadows are just right. And I put it in the grass. I take some photos of it. And I put them, you know, on my Facebook page and, and stuff. And uh, the uproar ensued because I shared it around to some different places. And uh, people are like, it's just a rock. And other people are like, it's a footprint, you know. But there's a friend of mine who is a podiatrist. He's not into Bigfoot or <laughs> weird stuff. He's a podiatrist. That's what he does. And uh, he looked at it and he said, I'm a podiatrist. He said, and this is a footprint. Hmm. He says, now, it may be an animal footprint, and it may be the rear foot of an animal with, with the, you know, that was, was sort of lit going forward on his foot, and so the heel didn't leave an impression. He said, but it's a footprint. So it, it's pretty funny because, you know, um, when you get, get that kind of confirmation from somebody that knows feet, <laughs> that, knows, <laughs> that knows the foot, and, and all, probably all kinds of feet. You know, well, you know, that kind of says, look, see, I told, told you so. But, you know, the, the really weird part about this is that this footprint is out of, if it's out of this local limestone around here, that's usually pretty deeply beneath the ground. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's probably <clears throat> anywhere from 35 to, or 30, yeah, 35 to 46 million years old. So who or what with a giant footprint was walking around? leaving footprints in mud 30, 40 million years ago. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Well, and if, um, okay, now, if my, if, if my memory serves me, if it is limestone, then it would have been, that, this, that would have been forming in shallow water. Yes, and the, so. inter the interesting thing is that it would date, according to another one of my friends who is knowledgeable, it would date to the Eocene, you know, which mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, early mammals, when mammals are transitioning 
from reptiles into mammals. Right. And uh, there weren't a lot of animals, a lot of mammals running around with feet that were that large. There were only a few that were that big. So who knows? Is it something unknown? Is it something known? You know, who knows what it is? Now, uh, now, now, how big you 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 may have you may have said this uh, uh, before, but now how 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 big is the actual footprint itself? Not the rock that it's contained on, but right, the, the, the right. footprint itself. I'd say the footprint was probably about the same size and shape and everything as a really decent sized Bigfoot cast. Hmm. Maybe a little bit shorter, but not much. Yeah. Not and uh, you know, like uh, maybe a good tell, sixteen, seventeen inches long, maybe. Can you tell how many? It, I, I take it it has toes and all that. Yeah, it looks like it's got the normal digits that on on a foot. Uh, I see the big toe. Other people see it, but you know, I mean, who knows? Um, oh, you mean like a big toe and and four other toe? digits? Uh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, looks, okay. Almost looks like there are claws coming off the toes, which hmm. is pretty weird. Because mm-hmm. there are these long little structures coming off the end of the toes, uh, and a couple of two or three of them. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a strange looking uh, rock, strange looking hmm. fossil. But it is a fossil. It is a real footprint. So, I mean, if a if a podiatrist says that's a footprint, then I'm going to believe him. You know. So, yeah. um, but huh. but the the interesting thing is that I I posted this at various groups, and I posted it in a certain cryptozoology group where all the Illuminati of cryptozoology hang out. And, uh, <laughs> the illuminated ones. And, and, you know, there's people there that, that, are, that are debunkers. That's all they do. I have a doctorate in, in, uh, in gynecology and uh, uh, vertebrate uh, mat- mat- matriculation. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I say that this is, uh, oh, this is all a bunch of crap. You know, those type. So... This guy gets on there and he starts his crap. You know, this pareidolia. I don't see a footprint at all. You know, uh. and then everything I say, he he argues with me. So he tried that again, and I basically said, "Look," I said, "A podiatrist," and I gave his name. I said, "He just told me that this is a footprint." And you know, and, and I repeated what he said. I post, I copied and pasted it, and then I said, "This is a footprint." And I don't know if he ever replied or not. But it's funny because I had another interaction with this guy earlier this week. I don't know this guy. Hmm. He's some guy that's a vertebrate expert. He wrote a paper on vertebrate footprints of the southeastern uh, Mesozoic, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Right. And, uh, you know, with some other guys. So, you know, okay, that's great. That's wonderful. But anyway, I I have a a new blog post out that uh, I did this week, which is about – some very strange phenomena in Mississippi, specifically stories that people have given me and told me, even you know, first person uh, told me themselves. I had a gentleman send me a, an account that his grandmother wrote of some very strange stuff that happened to her with the UFO, and not really UFO, more like almost like a, a um, supernatural manifestations that are hmm. kind of like UFOs, weird mm-hmm. stuff, and um, I, and. I also included the you know the photo I took of that anomalous object um, that that is definitely a 3D object you know in uh, I guess about a year a little over a year ago and I remember we talked about it on the show not long ago right and I so I put those in the in the blog post too and you know and I kind of spread the blog post around a little bit and this that's where I first had my run in with Mister I am an expert on everything 
and he <laughs> he got, he got on there and started a bunch of crap with me right off the bat. This is pseudoscience, blah blah blah. And he said a bunch of crap that had no basis in reality. And I said, look, man, I said, I said, your response is pseudoscientific. I said, you don't know anything about me. Well, you're not an expert in digital, I mean, in imaging. You don't know. I said, I said, actually, I am an expert in digital imaging because I am. You know, that's what I do. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. 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 And, I, and I gave him my credentials and told him all the places my work had been published, you know, and featured and all that kind of stuff. And then he didn't know what to do. So, like, for 24 hours, he was quiet while he, <laughs> while he pondered his next, I'm going to debunk this guy. <laughs> so then he, then he comes back with more crap, and I shut him down again, and he keeps doing it, you know. So finally, you know, I just, I, you know, he kind of petered out on, on his on his crap. But then when I started spreading the images of the of the fossilized foot, here he here he comes out of the woodwork again, you know. He's found, you know, and I went and looked. I searched this guy's name. And I find him all over, you know, I, I did a Google. I mean, who doesn't Google dumbasses when you run into them? So, <laughs> so I Google this guy, and I, I find, like, skeptical inquirer. And I find him in all these other places where he's like, that's not real. That's not, that's a, you know, it, it's always, I'm the champion of cowardly thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I see him everywhere. His name pops up in all these places. So, you know, you've you got to run into him. They're out there. I think they're I think they're more wacky than the people who believe that they channel Mothman through their through their rectum. Well, it's it's like you know, uh, do do some of these people have a life? I mean, is that all they do is just troll? Yes, you yes. know, places uh, you know, like like your site. Yeah, well, I think you're right. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, because because I mean, you know, which. I, I suppose good for him. I, I mean, I wish I wish I had that kind of time yeah, really. just to go and uh, you know troll other people's websites just to uh, bolster my own ego. Well, you know, by uh, a, mashing a of, them down. You know? <laughs> a lot of these people, what it is, is they're on a mission. I am on a mission, and then if you like make them look stupid, then their then their mission is like he must be destroyed. <laughs> well, yeah, they did. <laughs> you know, so. But, well, you know, saying that they have a mission, that's that that's correct. I mean, well, I mean, it's a self-described mission. It is. You know, I mean, and, you know, you know, no, they're not nobody's skeptics. asked for it. You know? yeah. yeah, they're not skeptics in the classical sense of skepticism. Oh, no. skeptic was open-minded. The whole point of being a skeptic, you know, in ancient Greece was, I don't believe it, but I don't not believe it. Right. Just show me. Now it's. I'm a skeptic, therefore I must debunk everything you say. There is no such thing as anything other than the materialistic world. And there are no mysteries, only science. Uh, you know, it's, it's just such crap. And, and yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a non-scientific attitude. It, it's very much, uh, um, it's like science is my God and my religion. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't prove anything. And it doesn't disprove anything either. You know, it's an unscientific attitude because the whole point of science is to think new things and then to admit it when the evidence is there mm-hmm. yeah so, well um i tell you mike i'm i'm sure then that our guest tonight will will send people uh like your little troll into just uh, uh fits of debunkery yes. ecstasy <laughs> i'm sure he will because tonight, uh, our good friend uh, uh, Olaf Phillips 
returns, and he has a uh, just an absolutely fascinating new book out called The Secret Space Age, Secret Space Programs, Breakaway Civilizations, Nazi UFOs, SDI, and Alternative, Alternative 3. Yes, which which is always that's that's always been a favorite one of yep. mine as well. Yep. Exactly. So, so um, let me just say uh, we got a break coming up here, Mike. But uh, I want to encourage our listeners that uh, you know give us a little while, um, you know about a half hour if you want to call in. But we want you to call in, ask uh, all of our questions at seven eight six. Two four five eight one two seven, and of course you can uh, go to our Facebook page, the Outer Edge Radio on Facebook, and uh, become our friend, like us, and uh, you know just shower us with uh, wonderful accolades. We love that. Oh, and you can go to and the money. chat room as and well. Money. Oh, money! Oh, I always encourage money. Hey, you know, <laughs> uh, hey, if you want to know what my PayPal address is, just ask. There you go. And, uh, and of course, uh, you go to our chat room at psn-radio.com and uh, uh, chat with the other uh, people there. And uh, I think, uh, Mike, you, uh, uh, you monitor the chat room. And uh, sometimes I try to, but I'm, I'm so busy trying to do other things here that it's, it's difficult for me. Yes. So. But, uh, yeah, definitely call it, give us a call at, uh, at, our, at our phone number tonight, 786-245-8127. One two seven. That's right. So why don't we uh, why don't we go to our break now? And when we come back, uh, we'll have our guest uh, Olaf Phillips. So you're listening to uh, the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Stay tuned for more interesting stuff. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers! You have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Thank you very much. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com We're rewarding you for something you already do. Listening to us. It's Radio Loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen. Points you can trade in for great products and services in the Radio Loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio Loyalty. It's free to sign up. So click the banner to join now. 
Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com All systems are functional. And I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the, the new king of radio. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's head. Are we alone in the universe? Now, I am a voice of the Jackal's head. That is a great show. Is there life after death? I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's head. Is the government keeping secrets from us? This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. Will the Cubs ever win the World Series? <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. And that was Lloyd Pye. And who the hell are these voices inside my head? Listen live on the Jackal's head and find out. <laughs> Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. All right, we're back on the Outer Edge. And with us tonight, of course, is Mike Mott. I'm Tim Schwartz. And joining us once again is Olaf Phillips. Olaf, thank you for uh, for coming back again on the Outer Edge. I think this is, uh, what, like maybe your uh, uh, third, uh, third appearance? Third I time? Were, I think it's the third, yeah. Yeah, hey, cool. You were on our other show, too, right? A couple times. Uh, yes. So you're like one of our top ten. <laughs> wow. That's cool, man. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Outer no, Edge, top ten. I love being on the show, so whenever you guys ask me to come on, I, you know, I juggle my schedule and make sure that, that it can happen, so. Well, yeah, you had, uh, you were on another show, uh, just before ours, weren't you? Um, I was going to be, but we had to reschedule it, so. Oh, well, that's too bad. Well, that's that's good. That means that you have uh, more energy for us tonight. That's right. You, <laughs> right. Really. I have thinking power. <laughs> hey, I'll ask you something. Uh, right off the bat here, while I'm thinking about it, did you see the documentary on Sci-Fi Channel about the uh, the moon stuff? Um, the most recent one? I did not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had, to, I had to work late that night, so unfortunately I missed it. It, it, I don't know if it still is. It was on, um, it was on uh, YouTube. Okay. So if you can't find it, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think you should check it out. But uh, it sounded it ties, it ties into all this stuff for sure. It sounded interesting. Well, we had on. Um, let's see that that week. Oh gosh, Jose, no, Jose Escamilla. He was that's right. Our oh, yeah, emergency. He's a 
Yeah, he was. But you know what? He had some good points, and, and he was like one of the very first guys to really start mm-hmm. delving into it in a big way. And he was, I think he was kind of, you know, kind of had his, his pride sort of hurt a little bit that he wasn't even contacted or consulted. And he said that some of the stuff they talked about was stuff that he was the first person to bring up. So, I don't know. But you know, oh, I, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, from my perspective, when I, you know, I, I do the research because I find it interesting. Yeah. You know, and I, I do, I do the writing because I enjoy it. Exactly. I'm the same way too. Yeah, and there's a there's a kind of there's a kind of all star crowd, and, and whenever um, I, I haven't broken in yet, but, <laughs> but whenever you know, whenever they do a documentary or you know, whenever there's a show, there's there's kind of a group of about twenty people that they always hit up, and whether they're they're exactly aligned to the topic or not, somehow they always seem to filter in. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because recently I saw a show on history about, um, uh, I don't know, end of the world or some kind of crud like that, you know, the end, you know, the end, how will the end come or some kind of thing. And, you know, it had a show on Nostradamus and then it was like a marathon of them and it had a bunch of different topics. But I'm sitting here watching this stuff about how will the world end and Nick Pope was on there. And I was like, huh, what? Nick Pope. <laughs> yeah. And he was talking about zombies. <laughs> I was like, Nick Pope's oh on his show talking about zombies. I mean, yeah, I mean, I it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, and I don't know if it's it's laziness or it's just easy. Not, not easy meaning not lazy, but I can fill up the roster really fast Yeah, by hitting, you know, these 10, 20, 30 people that that seem to be you know there's a lot of great people out there that have done amazing research like yourselves and well, well thanks man know. but you know Nick Pope is a great is a great researcher he's written some great stuff yeah but yeah. what does he have to do with the, the world what does he have to do with zombies <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well you know it makes it makes you wonder sometimes if uh, if the same production company is involved with you know a lot of these uh, different programs yeah, and true. and while you know while they have these guys at the location that's uh, true uh, interviewing them for one show that is like hey you know we're you know we're going to be doing this other one so <laughs> let me ask you some questions about zombies if you're real. <laughs> well, you know, so now that we finished talking about uh, UFOs uh, uh, let's talk about baking. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mention that. I, I was talking to, to Bob Lazar once uh, long ago, and and I was saying that I was asking because he he was in he made obviously the excerpts of the government Bible, which was the the documentary that he made with Gene Huff, right? right. Yeah. And then he was interviewed for a series of documentaries like History Channel or you know Sci-Fi or whatever various th- those kinds of documentaries. And I, I was curious, you know, how that all worked. And he was saying that in his case, that he had been interviewed for like two of them, and then like four more took the footage and then like recut it, and then they just really? taking the same footage and recutting it. Yeah. Good <laughs> grief! <laughs> well, now, I know um, when they when they flew me out to to L.A. for um, Ancient Aliens. They interviewed me for about four or five different programs. Just, you know, like a, a couple questions, you know, for each program. Uh, just to get it all in at one time. But then, you know, you go and you, 
you watch the series that it makes it look like that uh you know i was there every time for each uh, each program well we'll fly out again you know and you know people who know who don't know anything about television production that's what they think you know oh well you know they they just you know individ- in, interview you individually each right. time you know <laughs> no well it's like uh, i don't know if uh, if any of you remember uh, my three sons Oh, yeah. remember, remember that show with uh, Fred McMurray? Well, I, I watched repeats of it, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, they uh, uh, actually Fred McMurray would um, would only come to the studio for about two weeks, and they would shoot every <clears throat> every episode, every every you know, like a uh, uh, um, scene that he was going to be in for the. In- Entire year's worth of episodes in that two weeks time, and then he was done. Then he would go on, and then you know, and then the rest of the people would come in and do their parts. And then with the uh, the magic of editing, they would just edit his parts in. So while everybody else, you know, spent weeks, you know, months doing the show, he did his in two weeks and was gone. Now see, that's that's the way to do a television show. <laughs> well, my, yeah, my I have a friend. I have a friend who actually makes a TV show. And he uh, he has a show that it's an amazing show, and he's a horror host. And he'll you know he'll write. Wait, 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 he's a what? He's a horror host. Oh, okay. okay. Mr. Lobo. Yeah, right? Mr. Lobo. Right. And he, you know, he'll go in and he'll write twenty episodes, and then he'll go in and he'll shoot five or ten of them at once. Right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you know he'll go off to Blobfest or wherever he's going to go, but. Yeah, he does that. I mean, he, he he'll shoot a whole bunch at once because he's got people there that are that'll help him out, and you know he's got resources at that time, so he'll go and make them all at once. Oh, um, I wanted to ask you, you. You talked about Mr. Lobo, and that reminded me how is um, how is Clyde Lewis doing? He's doing better. Um, he's uh, he's still in the hospital. Uh, I guess he got up to a grand total of five blood clots that they found. Oh. Man. Yeah, it was pretty bad, and but I guess he's looking to be released Tuesday, Wednesday, so he's doing a lot better now. He's in good. Oh, that's that's good. He had like a, a pulmonary embolism. Yeah, he had a pulmonary embolism. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's bad news. So, do they have any idea what 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 the the cause of the catalyst was? No, no, but there were a total of five clots, and I guess one was fairly large. Oh so, okay. yeah. well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that he's 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 doing better. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a tough one though, you know. Uh, yeah, hit by that. Yeah, that sure is. Well, okay. Now, uh, let's 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 just get right into uh, your new book, Olaf. Um, yes. Uh, I know that's 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 why we got you here, and and I want to know you know all about it. Now we, we've talked about the whole. Uh, secret space uh, uh, race and the you know, breakaway civilizations and Nazi UFOs uh, and all of that before, but um, what um, what is it that 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 got you interested in that subject to begin with? Well, it actually it's it's a story of maturation, right? Mm-hmm. That when I when I was about seven, um, yeah. I saw. <clears throat> I'm trying to, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, not a speaker, right? Ah, uh, don't worry about it. Oh, you're good, man. <laughs> I'm trying to explain it. Um, basically, it was like a like a blue white light 
the best way I can explain it. It was like sitting right outside my second floor window. Right. And and I was reading a book. Maybe I was eight years old. I was reading a book, <clears throat> and and it was one of those things where I kept, in a, a childish mind, I kept thinking, you know, if I keep reading the book, it's going to go away. And if I don't look at it and pretend it's not there, then it's not there. But it was right. scaring me. It was, you know, and the funny thing about it is it was kind of dull. <clears throat> like it didn't like illuminate my whole room, but it right. was just hanging there. And um, I, uh, I finally worked up the courage to get out of bed and I sprinted across the hall to my parents' room. And I ran into my parents' room and, and woke my poor parents out of it. You know, they had, they were, had been asleep for probably an hour. And, um, and I said, dad, 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 wake up, wake up. And he goes, what, you know, what's going on? And to my parents' credit, you know, they, they never minimized, um, what I experienced, which is, you know, and that's what they should do. That's the way parents should be. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and so I said, okay, well, you know, you you were in the air force. He goes, yes. I said, well, you're in the air force for a while. He goes, Yeah. I said, okay, well, you know a lot about airplanes. He goes, well, I've seen a lot of airplanes because he wasn't a pilot. And um, and so um, I said, well, there's something hanging outside my room, and it's scaring the crap out of me, and um, I need you to tell me what it is. He goes, okay, hold on. And, and to his credit, he took it very seriously, and he, um, he had a uh, – it was a security police – well, when my when my father was in the Air Force – they were called the security police, but they were like MPs. And he had a baton that he had gotten from uh, somebody he knew that was a security policeman. And so he pulls the baton out, and he's carrying the baton, and he walks into my room, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. And so, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so he sits me down, and he says, why don't you describe to me what you saw? I kind of explained it to him. And, you know, and he said, well, you know, I really don't know what you saw. Um Maybe it was a spotlight or something from a helicopter because, you know, we were on the flight path and maybe the sheriff helicopter is like looking for somebody. We, I lived near, I lived on the other side of a fence from a commune. So he was, uh, you know, that, that was actually a viable solution to the problem, right? Maybe they were looking for somebody at the commune and they had a <laughs> spotlight in my room. <laughs> yeah. But that got yeah, me. That's pretty weird. It is weird. But you know, I mean, uh, so many people have seen things like that, and and little when kids see, how old were you at the time? Uh, it was like seven or eight. See, and a lot of times I'll just tell the kid, it's your imagination. Your dad didn't do that, and by him no. being up front with you, he 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 freed you, right, to be honest about these things and to look at these things objectively. Yeah, but it and, caused them problems down the road. So the next day, I go to elementary school, and I got my teacher to let me go to the library, and I checked out every book they had on UFOs. And oddly enough, my uh, my elementary school had books on UFOs. <laughs> but, you know, it was Valley, Heineck, Carl wow. Jung, which I was like, Jung has a book in an elementary school. That's wow. weird. Yeah, that's that is strange. Yeah, right. But there are about eight of them, and and I checked them all out and I read them, and that that started the Odyssey. And when I was younger, I mean, up until my twenties, you know, I really, I really did. I was one of those people where I was like, "Well, it's a light in the sky. It's an alien." And I, and then I'm not sure entirely when it happened. Um, it was probably about fifteen years ago, ten years ago. 
I woke up one morning and I said, you know what? This stuff is an alien. Right. Most of it, right? And, and Most so of it's not for sure. Right. Yeah. And so I, I kind of, at that point, I, I kind of had a breakthrough probably about 10 or 15 years ago. And, and really part of it was watching Alternative 3, that I had, I had gotten a 10,000th generation copy on VHS and it was all chewed up. I think I got it from something weird or one of those kind of places. And yeah. it was just thrashed, you know, the tracking was messed up and whatever. <laughs> but I watched this movie and at the time I didn't know it was fake. And, and I thought that makes a lot of sense. And I had a feeling it was fake because you can't watch it and not think it's fake. But, you know, I started to think about it and say, you know what? There's something to this. This makes too much sense. Right. So then I, you know, I started, I, I shifted gears. <clears throat> but it, it all started with the, with the weird light. And to this day, I still can't explain what it is. The only thing that I, even all these years later, you know, 31 years later, the best I can do is I think it might have been ball lightning. Yeah. Very, that's, what, that's what they all say, ball lightning. Yeah, it's ball lightning. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, something I, I'd be, well, that, you know, it's funny. Um, a while back, I read Mirage Man. Mm-hmm. And last night, uh, one of the guys on my Facebook was like, oh, have you seen Mirage Man? You, you should watch it. Okay, sure. So I watched it last night, and it, you know, it, it it started me thinking again. It was kind of like I had that kind of like mental breakthrough that I had when I when I first saw Alternative Three. So in another fifteen years, maybe I'll have another book. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see that one yet. So I mean, would you would you recommend it? I would. Yeah. I would absolutely recommend it. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for those in our audience who may have no idea what Alternative Three is, why don't you uh, uh, why don't you give us a brief description of uh, the, the the original show, and then you know all of the stuff that came afterwards? <laughs> sure. Well, basically, the show was made in 1977 um, on East Anglia TV. It was the final episode in a series of. Uh, in a series that they had made about science, and they call it Science Report, and uh, it was supposed to be shown on on uh, April Fool's Day, but they messed up and there was a strike and scheduling conflict, so they ended up showing. I think it in June, and <clears throat> caused a big fury. It was kind of like a, it was kind of like um, War of the Worlds with Orson Welles, and basically the the show started out being about the brain drain. This idea that in the late seventies, a lot of scientists. And technicians and generally smart people were leaving England uh, because they couldn't get paid enough in England and, and inflation was high and whatever. So they were going to Germany and France and, and America looking for jobs, high paying, high t- at the time you might say high tech jobs. During the process, they find out <clears throat> that some of these people um, didn't go to America or Australia or wherever. They actually just full on disappeared. And so they start to try to understand why that happened. And it turns out that in the story that uh, a group of government, U.S. government scientists in the late 50s had determined that there was going to be some sort of climate, kind of climate disruption and basically like a climate apocalypse. And that they had come up with three plans to fix it. One was to blow a hole in the atmosphere. 
The second was to build underground bases, and the third was to move to Mars. Hmm. And so, in the so they they kind of work through, and at the end, it's probably the most enigmatic thing in the whole show. That at the end, um, there's about a three minute sequence where you see something landing on Mars, and then there's uh, something moving around in the dirt. And <clears throat> the story that I've always heard, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but the story I've always heard is that that last two or three minutes is real. Hmm. And, um, you know, I've talked to effects guys who do special effects for movies and stuff, and they can't, right. they can't really explain to me how the, that, that footage was shot. And if you take what Christopher Miles, the guy who directed it, if you take what he says he did and then what you see, you know, right. I've never met a, an effects guy that I knew uh, that could tell me that that was possible. So mm. maybe it was, but you know, there's some weird, there are some weird uh, pieces of it. Like there's an astronaut, his name is like Bob Groden. Uh, you know, he's an alcoholic, married three times, kind of burned out on the whole thing. You know, he's basically standing for Buzz Aldrin before Buzz Aldrin got everything worked out. I mean, he's not anymore, but there was a stretch of time there where Buzz Aldrin had a really hard time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Bob Grodin is that is that era of Buzz Aldrin. So, you know, when you start to actually look at the mechanics of it, um, the each of those pieces actually corresponds to something real, whether they did it intentionally, which, which uh, David Ambrose and Christopher Miles uh, say they didn't, or, you know, so whether they did it intentionally or accidentally, doesn't really matter. It still matches up to events, almost one-to-one. Well, now, you know, um, English television and, and their uh, media in general, I mean, they're well known for doing these April Fool pranks. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I remember. I remember they uh, they had one where they had footage of um, the spaghetti crops coming in from Italy, right. and they they showed people like you know pulling spaghetti out of trees, yeah, and like that. But um, it's 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 rather unusual to have a you know really a, a serious science based program do a an april fool joke like that well well to tell you how bad it was is that the host of it was a guy named tim Britton, mm-hmm. and tim Britton at, at that time was a very well-known presenter in england a presenter is like a host and because of the way that they do things over there you can't be a presenter and a, a presenter and an actor because it will cause confusion and is he acting or is he presenting so he actually had to stop being a presenter and become an actor, right, to do wow. the show and then go back to being a presenter. Huh. Yeah, and and the other thing that's interesting about it is, like, the soundtrack was done by Brian Eno, you yeah. know, who's very famous. So it, yeah. it was really an all-star kind of operation to get it done. It's not a typical kind of low-budget movie. Oh no, no. Well, I mean, it, it would almost be like the, uh, um, uh, the 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 new version of Cosmos, right? Ending ending their their run by doing something similar, you know. Uh, exactly. It's just it, well, and so it's no wonder then. And then if, like you said, there was some kind of problems and it couldn't run initially on April Fools, but then you know the the the, the great minds 
that were obviously in place if that was the case. You know, like, oh, well, let's just go and run it anyway a couple of months later. I guess that I guess a telephone where uh, you know, the, 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 the switchboards were melting down all the phone calls that were coming in. They were. They simulcasted it in England, Scandinavia, and Australia. And, and when it went down, the, basically after that happened, England, countries in Scandinavia and Australia, they passed <clears throat> rules that said you can't make movies like that anymore. Because <laughs> it's, you know, and, and the, the English have, are famous for making movies like that. I mean, when I lived yeah. there, when I lived there, the BBC had made, the Beeb, had made a, a very interesting documentary about what would happen. And this is, you know, eight years ago. They would, you know, what would happen if, if the natural gas supplies to Europe got cut off, hmm. right? And I mean, it was it was pretty realistic. So you know, it's but other things happened too, like Leslie Leslie Watkins, the guy who wrote the book treatment of it. Number one, they classified the book treatment as non nonfiction, and then uh, he he claims that that in He's fallen off the face of the earth, number one. And, and Leslie, if you're listening, I want you to give me a call. <laughs> but he claims that, that in the process of writing the book, that he, he started to discover, because people contacted him, nobody's contacted me yet, but he discovered that people were contacting him saying, no, this is real. And he was going to have a second book that was going to follow the Alternative 3 book, basically explaining why Alternative 3 is real. But somebody broke into it. He was moving, I guess, from England to Australia to New Zealand. And somebody broke into his cargo container and stole all his stuff. Hmm. Stole all the stuff probably only related to uh, Alternative 3. Correct. Right. Now, now uh-huh. for listeners out there, explain to them what Alternative 3 is so they'll know what you're talking about. Sure. At, at its most rudimentary, Alternative 3 is, again, this notion that there's going to be some sort of ecological collapse uh, in the right. movie, kind of point to an ice age. Um, and there are three alternatives that the powers of be figure out. They can build, set off a high-altitude nuclear bomb to, to uh, vent carbon dioxide into space. Uh, they can build underground bunkers. Well, the, the first one failed. Uh, the second one, build underground bunkers. It was infeasible because you couldn't build enough underground bunkers. Then the third was to go to the to Mars by way of the moon. And right. so you can find evidence at each step of where they did it. Project one is, or pro, um, alternative one is a thing called Operation Hardtack Argus. Basically, they set off uh, a nuclear bomb at high altitude um, to ostensibly create a, a, a artificial Van Allen radiation belt, which was right. successful, but the idea of plowshares venting stuff in a space failed. Bunkers, I don't need to tell you two that bunkers exist. And three, right. going to Mars, there, there's some in, very interesting evidence of military operations to go to the moon, and there's very interesting evidence of things going on on Mars. So... Well, yeah. Supposedly, the, uh, the, uh, the the video that they showed at the end of Alternative Three of a uh, of a craft landing on Mars was a the the Mars mission that took place in what was like 1961, I think they said, when we first actually landed the secret mission to Mars. Right. Took place before even allegedly we landed on the moon in 1969. Well, as early as 1958, the military was drawing up plans. 
and uh, both operation or both uh, Project Lunex and Project Horizon, which Horizon was the Army, Lunex was the Air Force. Both of those, um, they they were to be fully operational by 1961, 1962. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure that there are a lot of people um, out there who would be just laughing their asses off thinking that uh, here we are talking seriously about a uh, an April Fool documentary uh, right. uh, fr- from England yeah. that, you know, for all intents and purposes, should have displayed and disappeared, and, and that would be the end of it. So, I mean, you know, why do you think that this one particular program has had such legs? I think because normally the... When you've got a, an April Fool's joke, the payoff is so asinine. Mm-hmm. It's like we're bringing in the spaghetti harvest and they're pulling spaghetti off trees. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. The problem is, is that when they made Alternative Three by hook or by crook, they made something that people actually believed <laughs> because it it is believable. It's not insane. It it makes sense. And when you you know again when you compare it to other things. You know, it, it starts to sound right, right? When you yeah, think about yeah. climate damage, right, you know, it, it sounds right. Well, it makes sense. It's logical. Exactly. It's logical. And, they, and, 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 and Occam's razor does apply. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, and uh, if if this was a hoax... The writers were certainly on the ball. I mean, uh, what was this? When was this broadcast? Was it 1978? 77. 77? Okay. Right. So, so if that was, the, you know, if the case this was just a hoax, it was just, you know, a, 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 a bunch of writers, you know, locked away in a room with uh, uh, too much scotch whiskey, <laughs> they actually. Um, that actually kind of hit the nail on the head with the whole idea that uh, there was impending uh, 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 climate change that uh, was going to uh, cause mass destruction on the Earth. When I mean, you know, now people, talk, you know, people are talking about that and accepting it as a reality. But in 1977. Um, you still had lead gasoline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you weren't you weren't hearing that kind of talk. No, and and what's interesting is that if you look, they say in the show, okay, well, in the late fifties, there was a meeting, and at that meeting, they figured this stuff out. Well, if you go and look, there was an American Chemical Society meeting in like fifty eight, and this guy from Scripps, I forget his name offhand, I'll, I'll look it up. But this guy from Scripps had done a long, long-term long study of phytoplankton, and he determined and presented at that meeting that the, uh, that the, um, the phytoplankton would only be able to absorb 10% of the total uh, amount of um, carbon dioxide that was being generated. And this is in like 1958, 1959. Hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, already then, they knew. And and if he, if he presented it, nobody seemed to have fought him on it. They knew in 1958 that, that basically that we were screwed. And then over the last, you know, 40 years, 50 years, 50 years, I guess now, 58 or 50, uh, what, 55 or whatever, they, you know, they've spent that time trying to mitigate it. 
and you can you can see it. You know, one of the problems that we have in, in conspiracy research in general is that people don't look for the end result. They don't look for the end game. So it's it's kind of analogous to like, you know, as conspiracy researchers, we look around and and we find we find these purple dots. And we say, okay, well, you know what? You've got a purple dot in your body. That's really bad. You shouldn't have a purple dot on your body. A red one maybe, but purple, uh-uh. But we can't tell you why it's bad. So we yeah. go out and we make up a bunch of crap about why having a purple dot is bad. When in reality, it's an indicator that you have a viral infection, right? So we never, we never, we only are consumed by the symptoms. We never look for the cause. Yeah. And, you know, and if you look at the cause, and suddenly everything starts to make sense. The secret space program, Gary McKinnon, you can even make an argument that elements of the, the JFK assassination. I mean, you can, you know, chemtrails, food hoarding. I mean, you know, this this idea that everybody gets scared about FEMA camps and buying 20 billion rounds of ammo and 10 million body bags. What are they doing? Well, if they're preparing for for an ecological collapse, that makes perfect sense. Sure it you does. Or, or, or look, if they're preparing for any type of major event, if they know there's a an unavoidable asteroid strike coming, or if they know and there is. there's a, a pl- yeah, or if they know there's a planet, a planetary body that's going to pass close to this planet and it cause upheaval on every you know level of existence. Any what? number of things. Obviously, they're getting ready for something. Yes, and and it's not the the problem that I <clears throat> I face on a daily basis is that I go and I read and you know all these people. It's like oh they're they're building FEMA camps to just put us in prison. You know, you can't put 350 million people in prison. <laughs> no. It's not going to work. But when so you th- see what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, you have you to can't say, put a- what, 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 happens, what happens when social, societal chaos hits major metropolitan areas, like, for instance, L.A., where, you know, L.A. area, 10 million people. That's a mm-hmm. lot of people. Chaos hits. They're going to have to round up the troublemakers and put them somewhere. The prisons, well, the regular prisons, won't be big enough. And not on this scale. No. If it's something like Apophis, or if it's something like, you know, yeah. an yeah, Ice exactly. Age or whatever, yeah. I mean, in, the prisons are not going to work. And, you know, and I, I, uh, it's funny that you said that because I used to. I don't do it anymore, but I used to have a bunch of uh, 3D software and did a lot of 3D stuff. And and I had an actual data set of Apophis. I don't remember where I got it. But it was the data set, and that is a massive, evil-looking object. Um, well, Neil deGrasse uh, think- Tyson, you know, he says that they, they named it Apophis, the, the god of death. They didn't name yeah. it Danny. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. And so, and so they, they keep saying, well, it's not going to hit. It's going to come close. Man, I have to wonder if that's not what they're getting ready for, one of several things that they're getting ready for, because they suspect that it may, in fact, hit. Well, it's, it really comes down to it's passing, what, a year or two, that if it hits the keyhole. And, you know, I would, I would, I would recommend that everybody uh, go download that or watch that for a TV interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he explains Apophis. It's yeah. pretty frightening. That, you know, he describes what will happen when it impacts. Because they know roughly where it'll impact. It, it'll impact somewhere off the West Coast. Hmm. Yeah, and and it, it is an, ex, an extinction-level extinction event. 
Yeah, and and you know, ex- when you think of an extinction level event, right? Uh, a mass extinction event, you know, it, it takes time. It yeah. takes time, and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily imply total extinction. I mean, the dinosaurs died, but they died because of of you know other factors. They weren't killed initially. I mean, well, humans, it, yeah, exactly. It, it causes to survive it. But yeah, but when it, you come but out, it still the causes. Yeah, it, it's it, a civilization ending event. It, it will cause yeah. an event like that would cause uh, the end of the growing season, um, total loss of food sources for most people, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's for what people don't six think months, about. You're yeah. not doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. There will be, be a water. <laughs> you won't be hurt for water. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's what it comes down to. So the more I looked at, at you know, Alternative 3, the more all these various things from chemtrails on down, everything started to make sense. And and I, I it dawned on me one night, I, I think... I thought to myself, I think I found the cause. I think I found the actual virus, so to speak, or, or the bacteria or the bug. I found the reason why they're doing it. And, you know, I'm I'm not... There are people that write much better books about bunkers. I mean, Richard Satter, you know, hands down owns that. You oh, know, yeah. Mr. Mott is, a, is an amazing writer about underground stuff. But, you know... What I did is I connected the dots, yeah. and they're dots that have never been connected. Not well, like you know, Solder was the first guy to to really have the guts to take a hard look at the military side of it. You know, I, I didn't really look at the military stuff too much, really at all, pretty much, because he had it covered. And right. my concern with doing what Solder did with his underground bases and tunnels and, and deep underground military bases and all that stuff I would worry myself personally, I would worry about writing about that because revealing that information might be a national security threat. That's true. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I wouldn't want to write anything that would put the United States at risk on any on any level. You know you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm glad he I'm glad he did it. <laughs> Not me. I mean, you know, I mean, it's amazing and everything, especially the stuff he points out about the about the uh, the uh, the actual patents and designs and photographs of the digging machines and things like that that do exist. You know, those giant things that basically uh, melt a tunnel through solid rock, and they're they're nuclear powered. But that's well, cool. And, that's cool to, to know and, about. And but the underground rail network. Yeah, and it's there. It's there. There's a highway system. Everything, but most everything. people don't know about it. Yeah, I mean Rand Rand wrote a report on it in like the seventies. Yeah, and then suddenly, magically, now you know these various places are having hums, and you know, yeah, it, yeah, it all, yeah. all these underground sounds. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, I wouldn't want to uh, to have been the guy to write that stuff because I know our, our tax dollars pay for it, and then most likely when it hits, whatever happens, um, only the elite and the rich and the wealthy and the powerful will get to go there. But they you know, sure. but, but it's got to have, but it's got to have limited resources. I'm sure they'd be getting ready. I'm sure trillions of dollars have disappeared into it over the, you know, over the decades. Well, it's probably set up for no telling how many people. But most likely, you and me, we're not on the, we're not on the short list, man. 
No, and and what I what I do know is that um, you know, like it, when you look at Raven Rock Sidar, they they have a Starbucks, and apparently that Starbucks is is equipped for twenty years of uh, underground coffee making, <laughs> wow. and they have a gift shop. I survived a global cataclysm, and all I got was a lousy T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see the design for it now. No, seriously, it's got a Starbucks. Gotta have your, gotta have your Starbucks. Gotta have your coffee. If you don't have a mochaccino, man, it's going to be a bad scene underground. It's going to be like Damnation Alley when the whole thing like explodes. <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that would be the real apocalypse when they run out of coffee. Apparently you got 20 yeah, years. That would be bad. <laughs> would be very bad. Because you ain't making more. Nope. <laughs> so, um, do you think then that, uh, and, I, and I know this is a speculation on, on, on your part, sure. but uh, do, you, do you think that the, uh, the original producers of uh, the Alternative 3 program were just, you know, it's just a coincidence that that maybe they actually um, kind of uh, um, um, hit the nail on the head, or or at least uh, um, uh, uh, had some parts of uh, uh, of what was actually going on in the program, not on purpose, not you know, not being fed information by some you know uh, uh, secret uh, uh, government agency who's trying to get the uh, uh, the information out there, but they were just you know like uh, damn lucky and uh, and actually uh, uncovered uh, uh, some truth of an actual operation. Well, that's what they claim. Like Miles uh, Christopher Miles. Uh, said in an interview that you know they set out to make a mockumentary, but you know it seems like they got close to something real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> you know if they did their homework well enough and they found what I found, that it would, you know, I I mean based on what I found, I could have simulated the storyline for Alternative Three. Now, what I will say is that everybody involved in that production, Christopher Miles, David Ambrose, Tim Brinton, you know they they all went on to illustrious. Careers. I mean, they they weren't parked at a, a you know a small station in in England for long. You know, they've all gone on. Like uh, Tim Brinton is is dead now, but you know he was a member of Parliament, hmm. right? So they they all did quite well, except for Leslie Watkins. He just disappeared. <laughs> well, now did uh, uh, had Leslie written anything before this uh, before the book? I don't know. I can't really find anything about him. Yeah, no, good. Well, could his name have been a pseudonym? Maybe. There's one letter that that has made the rounds that somebody found him, I guess through the publisher. Somebody had found him and written him a letter. And that I, I reproduce the letter at the end of the book and and uh you know, he he basically tells the story of that, you know, he wrote it to be fake but it turned out to be true. And that that's what they all claim. They all claim that they wrote it to be fake but it became true. Hmm. And it depends on how much effort they put into actually researching it. I mean, the the dates correspond, you know, the projects correspond. For example, like Argus, when they fired Argus, normally it took upwards of two years for them to plan a nuclear test. They did Argus in six months. They got a fleet of ships to go down near the, the South Pole and to fire this thing off within six months. And they classified it all... 
despite it being labeled, I think by the by the New York Times as the most important scientific experiment ever ever conducted, they mm-hmm. classified it until like 1982. Wow. So yeah, so there's you know th- there's some weirdness. I mean, I can't. I can't tell right. you completely. It's it's pure speculation, you know. And I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to, to speculate too heavily on that because they are, you know. I've I've sent emails to to uh, do um, walk or not Watkins to um, uh, the guy who who filmed it, and and you know, very polite, very nice, answered questions, you know. Yeah. So. I don't. I can't tell you for sure. I mean, the officially they claim that that they just stumbled upon it. So I guess okay. I, I have to go with that. I, well, I am no to the contrary. Well, we've talked about you know, of course, we're talking about alternative three right now. But in the past, we've talked about some other other related types of uh, uh, theories. And uh, so here's my question: in the overall picture, what do you see as having transpired in the past? I mean, several waves of migration off planet by different different uh, groups what, what what all do you think has happened <laughs> from the past to present yeah yeah i think that i think there probably was i mean when you look at the vimanas you look at ancient india you know yeah. you look at the stories of some of these i i think it, it possible it's possible that there was a predecessory wave that that went over there you know i think yeah. some of the things that that we've seen and found were you know it's like oh look this is this is wreckage right yeah you know, I think that may have been a may have been an exploration by somebody before us. Well, not just that. Think about think about the things like the Vilas Boas case, right? I mean, that's obviously as strange as that person seemed. She was a human being, and she was interested in gene- genetic, just just plain old fashioned sex. She was, you know, there wasn't none of this test tube stuff going on when they kidnapped Antonio. So, right. you, you know. If they weren't related to human beings, if they weren't human beings, that wouldn't have happened. And there have been all these uh, other cases where they're saying, you know, uh, samples from around the world of hairs and things like this after these types of sexual encounters. They've done DNA analysis on these now, and they're finding that they're all human, but they're strange combinations of human DNA. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, I do. I do. Yeah, and like, 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 go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, like one blonde hair that they that they recovered, they did DNA analysis, and you know it was Mongolian, uh, European, and South American, or some you know just some weird mix of of mitochondrial DNA and other stuff. So that would make sense if there were groups off planet who were have and maybe even in the planet, you know, in secret places, who were having to sample. They're having to take what they can get, but maybe they can be very selective too. There are certain traits they want. They want to keep genetic diversity as high as possible. So when they do take people for this purpose, you know they're going to pick diverse groups of people because that's going to lead to a healthier population. Yeah, I mean it seems reasonable. You know, I think I think we'd be hard pressed to discount it because all all around us, you know, we see fleeting evidence of something that existed before us that yeah. was technologically sophisticated. I mean, even even in the descriptions of things like Lemuria and Atlantis, you know, they, they talk about flying flying objects, flying aircraft, and, you know, right. all 
and and there's also this idea of the pyramid that you know you've got pyramids and in South America, in Central America, you've got pyramids in Egypt, you've got pyramids in Asia. You know, did they all just come up with pyramids? I don't <laughs> think that aliens descended from the sky and taught yeah. these guys how to build pyramids. Right. But even or hired all proved with Contiki that you know you could sail from Egypt to Central America, and I think that you know there there was at one point a globe spanning civilization that was fairly sophisticated, and and if they got to where we're at today. You know, today, right now, if we really wanted to, in the even in the public sector, we could go to Mars. If we wanted to, if the will was mm-hmm. there, we oh, possess yeah. the cap- the technical capability to do it. We'll never yeah. go there because somebody doesn't want us to go there, but it's completely feasible for us to do it. And I'm going to put another spin on this, too, and, and it's this. We say we're not going back to the moon. We say this now. Maybe one day we'll do a manned mission to Mars. You know that if anybody ever made noise about really doing these things in a big way again, there would be literally not just a space race. There would be wars fought to get to see who gets to own that new real estate. Probably. Just just for the resources alone. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I know that you've seen, you know, You've seen the pictures, the unfiltered pictures of Mars in the Martian sky. The Martian sky is not red haze, it's blue. I mean, it looks like you're looking at Arizona until, for some reason, NASA decides to put a red tint on everything. Well, you know, the one that always gets me is that there's fairly conclusive evidence that there's helium-3 in, in massive amounts sitting on the moon. I mean, you know, we've yeah. even seen yeah. movies it's about locked in the, Yeah, it's locked in the rocks. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, a, a small amount of helium-3 would power the West Coast for decades, but we're not going yeah. and getting it. No. You know, so, yeah. You I know, mean, that, that, that's, that's optimal fuel for anybody who's planning on, on, you know, exploring the solar system. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of lip service that we're going to go to titan and io and all these places yeah but see i'm not talking about officially i'm talking about other groups you know oh they're already there yeah they're burning up that helium three powering whatever they're doing up there yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely you know i have no doubt in my mind you know i I remember a long time ago i got a i got a uh, video that was john john lear talking about mining operations on the moon and you know in it he just showed like you know, uh, photo after photo after photo of tiling piles and, you know, tracks. And, I mean, it was pretty obvious, you know. So if if you really want to find proof that we're on the moon, it can be done. It's in the, public's, in the public space. But I have no doubt in my mind that we're up there or on Mars. I mean, I have a photo of, an, of a building on Mars that defies logic. Yeah, it, it looks like it looks like a, a building. It looks like a house that somebody would build in Malibu. Hmm. Yeah. Well, don't forget. Last time, uh, at some point, I, I had sent you a link to uh, some photos that I had found, where I had taken a, a an image, a high resolution image from Mars, and I found all kinds of anomalous stuff in that image. I mean, oh, yeah. they they can they can only be machine parts. It, there's no way nature did it. Like there's one object that looks like a, a piece of, you know, the honeycomb cereal. It looks right. like it's a piece of a honeycomb cereal in metal about the size of a hubcap, you know. 
and that's the, not something that occurs naturally. Right, and the thing that I always tell people is I say, look, if you want to prove that we're on Mars, or if you want to prove that the that Solar Warden is real, don't go look for the ship. Don't go look for the building. Go look for the garbage. Yes. Because the one thing, you know, I, I was a Boy Scout, and, and we always learn, you know, leave it better than you found it. But I'll tell you, we sure don't do that. <laughs> you know, there's beer cans and, and, and you know, Nestle Crunch Bar wrappers and machine parts, you know, sitting there. If there we're on Mars, there's dilapidated aircraft and all kinds of other garbage, you know, sitting up there. I mean, look for the garbage. And, and McKinnon, for example, one of the things that McKinnon found is the transfer orders – you know, um, inventory lists. I mean, it's just minutia. They go into operating a series of ships. He didn't find the ship. He didn't find, you know, he didn't go on board the ship or see photos of the ship. He says he saw one photo from the moon that got, you know, modified, that got airbrushed. But, you know, what he really found was the the day-to-day kind of uh, leftovers of a bureaucratic system. And if yeah. you want to find it, that's what you should look for, because it's what they don't classify. It's what they don't hide, because it's so mundane that everybody takes it for granted. Yep. And, and you know, uh, I also think there's plenty of evidence that there was somebody on Mars a long time ago. You know, before any before we might have had an alternative three head that way. But anyway, um, we're getting really close to our break. I think. How long have we got? Just a few more minutes, don't we, Tim? We got about three minutes. Okay, so yeah, about two, about two and a half now. <laughs> okay, so now so, it's about two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Olaf, we're, 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 yeah. So before we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but would would you say that there's a there's probably a good chance that that researchers like yourself and and people are talking about things like we're talking about right now on this on this internet radio program that there are people who monitor all this stuff to a great degree when we talk about these things? I'm sure of it. I'll tell you a story when we come back. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> sounds interesting. Well, you know, I, of, I often wonder, though, when, when it comes to the whole idea of, uh, you know, uh, shows like ours being monitored, you know, or uh, uh, books being uh, uh, yeah. uh, carefully viewed. But I just wonder sometimes if, if you pay too much attention yeah to this stuff that that kind of defeats the purpose of keeping it secret okay so okay i'll give you an example of you know i mean if uh you know if you're doing research on your book and all of a sudden you notice that uh you know there's there's strange people hanging around outside of your house uh, yeah. You know, uh, taking your pictures, you know, the black helicopters, yeah. you know, obviously flying overhead. You know, that's going to make you think, hmm, maybe I'm on to something. Well, it, Which, but, it, but, here, but here's two things about that, Tim. Okay, go ahead. That, that, that would have been 20, 30 years ago. That would yeah, have been yeah. the, the technology level. But now they have things like uh, carnivore and echelon. Just the stuff we're talking about. Just me saying carnivore and echelon. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're going to start, you know. Stuff's going to turn on and start listening, and all the stuff we've been well, talking no. about. They, they listen to everything. Yeah, they've stored something like in the last couple of years, like one trillion pieces of data, yeah. and they, they just they inhale everything, and then they, they do. 
Yeah, and then they and run. If they, and if they want to monitor you, they don't even have to come to your house. No, not anymore. Not anymore. Hmm. Not anymore. And that's no. why if I see a drone, you know, I thought I, I thought it was a UFO, you know, <laughs> boom. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, well, let's go ahead and uh, go to our break now, gentlemen, uh, because uh, I I want to I want to hear this story that uh, <laughs> Olaf teased us with, and I'm sure our audience does too. So uh, you're listening to the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Our guest tonight is Olaf Phillips, and we will be right back with more interesting stuff. So please stay tuned. in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOstore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to the UFOstore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and the UFOstore.com has it. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah. Street. Pizza sounds good. 
Ballin Street? Girlin Street! <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ballin Street? Girlin Street! <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. All right, we're back with The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz, and we're talking with Olav Phillips. And Olav, you uh, kind of teased us a little bit uh, uh, about something. I think, Mike, you had asked a question about uh, whether or not our, uh, our, our, our calls and other communications are being monitored due yeah, to our or, uh, research if, and interests. And or if uh, Olav had ever had, had any experiences of, of that nature. Well, uh, one one that I would say is legitimate. I mean, I've had a few that were not legitimate. I had a, a guy that claimed that he was a MIB and he was going to come and get me, but he, he gave me he gave me an extra two weeks so I could go to Disneyland and have vacation. So I don't think that was legit. But uh, when I <clears throat> when I was still in college, when I first set up my original website a long time ago. Um, I was kind of starting to get into it, doing some basic writing, and um, I had an unlisted phone number. And one one morning, um, I'm a college student at the time, and I'm not um, <clears throat> prone to wake up early, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it was like a Saturday morning or Sunday morning, and it was on the weekend, and um, I'm sleeping, and... I get, I get a phone call, and this guy, uh, <clears throat> he didn't answer the phone, hello, you know, I'm groggy, half asleep. This guy goes, he says, are you Olaf Phillips? I said, yes. He goes, you know, I um, <clears throat> I think they're testing exotic aircraft and, and UFOs of Beale. I know where to go to see it, and I know what the schedule is. So, um, you know, is that something you'd be interested in? And I said, sure. He goes, well, would you come up here and watch it? And I said, sure. I'm not thinking. And... Uh, <laughs> 
And so the guy says, okay, well, I'll call you back. And the thing that, that was really interesting about it is that the guy called me at 8 a.m. sharp. Is I remember being shocked that any, anybody would try to call me that early because most of my friends were college students and they were sleeping in too. So I looked over and it was 8 o'clock on the dot. And the, the conversation was less than 45 seconds. And <clears throat> I, um, I hung up. And I didn't really think anything of it. And I, I rolled over and went back to sleep. And, um, and my, my girlfriend, um, she, uh, she elbowed me and said, Hey, who was on the phone? Thinking probably that it was one of our friends. And I said, Oh, some guy called me up. He says there are UFOs up at Beale and, you know, he wants to go take a look at them and he thinks he knows all about them. And, you know, he invited me to go and whatever, I'm going to go back to sleep now. And suddenly she's wide awake and she's like, what, what do you mean? Some guy called our house. You know, did he know your name? I said, yeah, he knew my website, my name, and everything. And and she's like, you know, what what the hell? You know, well, she used the F word, but what, what, <laughs> I guess I can see it on your show. What you know? What the fuck? You know, what yeah. the fuck are you thinking? Are you posting our phone number? I said, no. She goes, you idiot. We have an unlisted phone number. How did he get our phone number? I said, I don't know. I want to go back to sleep now. <laughs> so I go back to sleep, and she goes back to sleep, and. Later that day, when I was actually coherent, it started to dawn on me that some guy called me on an unlisted phone number, knew my name, knew where the city I lived in, knew everything, and knew where to get this stuff. And he never called me back. Huh. And the other thing that was odd at the time is that he, the phone call was less than 45 seconds long. Hmm. And the, uh, <clears throat> the thing about it is, is that you know, it takes a certain amount of time to be traced. And I think he was below, I think it takes like a minute, or it did back then. And so he, I think he was coming in below the tracing. And after that happened, um, for a long time, because I wasn't, I was more of a UFO nut. You know, I just like looking at lights in the sky. I wasn't quite as obsessed with the exotic aircraft and the other stuff. Yeah. And, and at the time, you know, um, I started to hear, Right after this happened, um, I started here clicking on my phone. And, you know, back in those days, I mean, it was still a mechanical switch. So in order to ga- engage the monitoring, you actually had to, you had to do it mechanically. Right. So I could hear the mechanical, the switching at the head office when they would engage the, uh, the monitoring. Right. And I don't know if it was me because nothing I was saying at that time, I could understand it now. But back then, um, you know, I don't think I was saying anything that, that exotic. I think whoever called me is who they were after. But they monitored me for a year. Ah. The and the buzzing, I'd hear clicking and buzzing. Uh, sometimes I would hear, or, like, muffled noises. Yeah, and, you know, if you, if, that, if the guy that, that called you, if he were a spy, espionage agent, um... Uh, a bad guy of any type, then they might be. They would suspect that you were a contact. Well, not even if he's a bad guy necessarily, but even a, something like a whistleblower, they would still right. something. Right. They would. They would suspect you of being a contact. Right. Um, and and it, it went on. I mean, for years, for years. Only in the last couple of years has it stopped. Hmm. But from that time up until a couple of years ago, every time I flew on an airplane, I got searched. That's really. Weird. Yeah, they never stopped me, but I got searched. I got. I know searched. what. I know why. I know why. 
Why is because, that? Tell me. Because your last name is Phillips, but your first name is Olav. <laughs> it's not even. Yeah, it's Scandinavian. I know. They don't know that. <laughs> it sounds. It sounds furry. Sounds furry. <laughs> what it, it's a, you know, we, we know it sounds Norwegian, but they don't know that. True. <laughs> I even got searched by the SAS when I was in when I was a kid, and I went to England. I put my Walkman through the X-ray machine, and they didn't <laughs> like how my Walkman looked. I don't know. <laughs> and they, I got searched by two SAS guys. What year would oh. that have been? Uh, nineteen eighty. Wow. Probably 87, 88. That's ah. interesting. I mean, they, the IRA was still quite active then. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I got I got searched at Heathrow. Well, I can figure it out. I was on the last plane into Heathrow on Pan Am. I took the last Pan Am flight into Heathrow ever. So. Hmm. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, you know, uh, anybody who has ever traveled uh, overseas before, really before 9-11, I mean, it is it not uncommon to be, you know, to be searched and have the, uh, you know, like the, the, uh, the what's it, the electromagnetic wand right. waved over your body. I mean, exactly. you know, over, yeah. overseas, overseas in, in Europe especially, I mean, you know, the, uh, um, well, the it was it, it was a lot more strict, you know, getting yeah. on, in and on, you know, uh, uh, of an airplane. Or a lot of times even getting into the airport, you know, you, you could be searched. So I mean, you know, for you know, people here in the United States, I mean, you know, we had it lucky up until recently. And, That's I mean, right. We don't we don't have it that bad, really, compared to uh, some of the places that I've flown in and out of. Where I mean, you know, you were lucky if you uh, were able to keep your pants on. <laughs> All right, you yeah. <laughs> this conversation has diverged. <laughs> well, now, that well, awful story. What makes you think, though, that? Um, that, that that guy would call you. You know, um, at various points in my life, I've uh, I've tried to figure it out, and I I'm not sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I had I had one of the first uh, kind of UFO websites at the time, and I, I worked even then very hard to try to make it as legitimate as I could. You know, because when you when you look at UFO websites or conspiracy websites, I mean, there's a lot of really strange stuff out there. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's a lot of, of things that are not. I'm a nuts and bolts person, and I, I think I come across as a nuts and bolts person. Right. One of the reasons that I discount ninety percent of the UFOs being alien is because I'm a nuts and bolts person. The mechanics yeah. of getting here from Zeta Reticuli is not trivial. And, That's right. Right. And and, and, and and why would you come all the way out here? Right. And, and you know, yeah. the other things like, you know, it's not, it's not doing anything that's not insane. Like, I, I actually had a sighting when I was in, when I was in college, uh, around that time, actually, maybe that has something to do with it, at mm-hmm. a little town down the road from where I went to school. And, and that was crazy. I saw aircraft doing 90-degree turns. I mean, weird, weird stuff. Hmm. You know, and, and that, you know, you have to wonder. But nowadays, you know, I would think that maybe it was a drone. But, 
you know, or if it was if it was some sort of anti gravity system, you could do stuff like that. Yeah. But I no, dude, I saw straight up triangles, like triangular UFOs flying around. Right. And <clears throat> but you know, I, I I watched like I went to East the Seti Ranch, and that that was an amazing experience. You know, I, I saw Bigfoot, I think. And I saw a lot of really weird stuff, but I think most of the stuff that I saw was a was exotic aircraft. I think I saw an aurora. Yeah, really. Yeah, it was the damnedest thing. Yeah, it was the damnedest thing, and we we couldn't get footage of it because it was too dark. But basically, I saw an object move across the sky. Me and uh, and Larry Overman, uh, the ghost mine. Um, we work on something called Tesla Wolf Media, and we were up there. Uh, we were going to try to broadcast it live, and I saw an, I saw an aircraft fly from from east to west at high altitude, flashing, and the flashes were a couple of seconds apart. It was just like flash, 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 and you just saw this thing, this kind of you know kind of grayish object out ahead of the flashing. And just streaked across the sky. I mean, I saw stuff that was very bizarre, but I think it was—I think it was human. I don't think it was alien. I, I saw a couple things that maybe were alien, but I saw a lot of stuff that was human. Yeah. Hmm. Well, well, you know, if someone is is exponentially beyond us in their history and their their you know their technology, their development, their everything that's happened to them. Say they did leave the Earth, you know, five thousand years ago or eight thousand years ago, but they they were human when they left, and they're still human. They're still related to us. They're just they're going to diverge in terms of their their appearance and their mannerisms and everything else. Well, and and they still all have all the foibles of being human, right? Right. You know, narcissism, anger, envy, frustration, Lust, all of it. Yeah. Which which ties into you know all the. All the legends about gods and demigods coming and taking people for you know to, to mate with and all that stuff, you know if they're just humans that are advanced or you know you know what I mean, they're going to take advantage of the of the of the bumpkins down you know that they left behind. <laughs> There's bumpkins down in ancient Greece. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Olaf, did you uh, uh, you remember the uh, photographs that were uh, uh, taken a couple months ago over? I think one of them was uh, Texas, and the other one I think was Kansas City, of uh, unknown triangular-shaped, obviously you know man-made. I mean, they had jet trails behind them, right? Uh, similar to uh, what you were, what you had seen. Yeah. <coughs> um, superficially, maybe. Superficially, know? yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. saw them at night. So the one thing that, that I didn't see, though, aside from the, the object that was flashing, is that the other stuff was flying at such such a high altitude that I couldn't see the the thrust, like the afterburn. Oh. It was so high. But one thing that, that we did do that was rather interesting is that about six times um, we would see these lights flying overhead, and they, they were high, probably, you know, 60, 70, you know, 80,000 feet. And mm-hmm. don't ask me how we, we got it to happen, but we were – they were very small to us. I mean, they, they were like the size of, of a couple of rice grains end to end, right? Mm-hmm. And, they were, and what they, you could tell is because they, uh, they would blink. So they would like fade in, fade out, fade in, fade out, fade in, fade out. 
And when we shined a light on it, we had a very powerful light, and we shined a light on it. And what happened was is that normally if you shine a light on something, it kind of reflects, right? Right. But this didn't reflect. It actually absorbed it. And we hmm. could see it. We could see it actually kind of wrapping around the fuselage. Wow. And when it wrapped around the fuselage, after that happened, the, the aircraft would go dark. And it was huh. blacker than black. And then it would just take off. Because, you know, it's a different it's a different black than the than the sky. Right? So yeah. we could kind of see it sorta. But I couldn't give you any definable shape per se, but I could see it actually wrap around the, the aircraft. And when that happened it went it went dark, like shut off everything, and then it just hauled ass. And we did that six times. And I think what we were seeing where it was kinda like fading in and fading out, fading in and fading out. There's a there's a kind of aircraft where they <clears throat> supposedly it's these triangles, right? They, supposedly they have a camera that looks forward and takes the star field because they typically fly at night. It takes a star field from in front of it and then projects it on the base on the bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's, so, bas- it's basically as if the the uh, the the outside hole of the vessel is uh, is a is, TV. is a screen. Yeah, it's a TV. Yeah, basically, like a TV. TV. Yeah. And the, the best way I could describe it to you is that, you know, it was kind of like seeing one of those planes where they had the writing across the bottom mm-hmm. at an angle. <clears throat> and so we would we flash it, and then it, it would shut everything off and then just disappear. And I think what was happening is that it could detect that it was being illuminated, and the pilot or co-pilot or whoever, the radar officer, whoever is on this thing, switched it off and they decided we were going to leave. And the, all those aircraft that we saw that were like that were coming from the, the southeast and flying north. They mm. all came from the same place. They were all coming from the southeast corner flying north. Every one of them. Is there, is there like a major facility in the direction well, we were, they were coming from? Well, we were, we were on the Oregon-Washington state border. So southeast of us in a straight line would have been like Area 51. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was a long way from us, but sure. you know, if you're traveling, <laughs> I mean, if you have a, you know, the kind of engines that they talk about having, you know, going a vortex thrust engine, you know, it's going to Mach six is slow, right? So distance is really irrelevant. Just think of the amount of taxpayer money, <laughs> and they're telling what other sources of of funding, legal and illegal. That the U.S. government has has dumped, has just channeled into these black projects for decades, and then put that into context with why we're seventeen trillion dollars in debt, as far as we know, um, where the, all the money has gone all these years. And well, it's why everybody's in debt, right? I mean, yeah, but but think about this. We team. seem to act like we're the only ones in debt. Exactly, like, the, the whole planet's in debt. And right. where is all this money going? And if you think about this, taking us off the gold standard enabled those who would spend these ungodly amounts of money to print as much money as they wanted to in order to do so. Well, okay, let me let me, let me ask this, Mike, uh, or uh, Mike and Olaf. I mean, you talk about... Uh, um, um, 
the United States and uh, printing all this money you know, for these programs. But if if we're dealing with a uh, a breakaway civilization like uh, Olaf talks about in his books, right? I mean, um, I, I, I is, think we're dealing. Is with the United States, you know, part of that breakaway civilization, or well, are they just we're, you know, we're, we're playing catch up? I think we're playing catch up to them because they're a threat to us, and because uh, well, they, they would be. So that's what SDI is probably about. Yes and no, right? It depends. Okay. I think I think what you what you've got is elements of every Western country, including Russia, right, and and Asia. Pretty much, you've got elements of every developed mainstream country are complicit in it. Mm-hmm. I think you've got people in Canada. You've got people in Mexico, you've got people in the United States, England, Germany, France, Italy, Belgium, Norway, Sweden, maybe soon Scotland if they break away, you know, Russia, Japan, China, they're all contributing to it. Because it's it's a if if what I wrote about is true, then it's it's a survival mechanism. That, that what it's really about is skipping town so you can survive this. And I think that there is an alternative group of people out there that it, that is a danger. What I don't know concretely is who those people are. I can make a guess and, and, and take the easy way out and <clears throat> say they're space Nazis, or maybe <laughs> they were people that were here before us, or I don't know. But yeah. we're shooting at somebody, and we put a lot of, we put a lot of military hardware up there to defend ourselves against somebody. And if you read things like the Byrne Memo, where JFK is is writing a letter to the head of NASA, telling him to discuss with the director of CIA the defensive capabilities, you know, how they can best leverage the defensive capabilities of NASA. NASA has no defensive capabilities, or so we thought. Mm -hmm. But according to JFK, writing to the head of NASA, apparently they sure as hell did. Because he just ordered the guy to work with the CIA to leverage those defensive capabilities. So I, I think that there's something exterior that they're worried about. And maybe it's aliens. I don't think so. I think it's probably more like what what uh, you know Mike was talking about, some sort of ancient civilization that came from here and went somewhere else, or space Nazis, or I don't know. But there's some competing group that is coming here and is doing stuff and is hanging around and they don't like it. And that you go no further back than STS-48. Watch the STS-48 footage. It's, right. I mean, it's right there. Hmm. And why, why would I have an engineer call me up during an interview in the last 10 minutes of the show? It's always the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Tell me he worked on some program called Space Warden in the early 1970s, before Reagan ever announced Star Wars, yeah, he, I think he was at, what is it, Plant 42, working on this thing for Boeing, I think. And he was guarded by, you know, by federal uh, agents, and, you know, it was a, a hunter-killer set of satellites. They had two uh, killer satellites in equatorial orbit. They had a third that was autonomous, that was a hunter-killer. You know, and this is all, like, in 1971. Right, so wow. obviously they thought something was a threat, and I don't right. think it was those Soviets firing missiles at us, because Mad pretty much assured that they would never fire. I think right. the entire Cold War was a sham to cover this stuff up. 
Well, don't, also don't forget, though, that, that all these governments, the, the advanced governments, by that I mean, you know, techno- technologically advanced, they've known about the Black Knight object for a long time. So they've known something was going on for a long time. And there may be two. You know, we, we talk about the Black Knight interchangeably, but there, there may be two objects. Because supposedly there's the Black Knight, which hangs around in orbit and followed Sputnik and followed uh, Explorer 1. But there's a second object that seems to be parked at one of the Lagrange points, and that's the source of the long delay echo. So if you want to, you know, you send a message out to this thing, then it sends a, it, it reflects it back to you. And yeah. every time you send it, it increases the delay that it sends it back to you. That's not necessarily the, and that might be alien, but that's also not necessarily the Black Knight. Right. And to, to support your, what you were talking about earlier about a, an ancient breakaway civilization, there's a whole thing about Apollo 20. If you believe Apollo 20, if you look at the footage that, that Rutledge you know, posted, when right. you look at that UFO that's crashed, we'll call it a UFO, it's unidentified, yeah. that crashed on the moon. If you actually look at the surface of it, it's cut in a very Mayan style. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's both Mayan and it's also very Indian. It looks a lot like uh, the style that you see on a lot of stupas and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah, it's very similar to both styles. And those are similar, those two cultures are similar similar in a lot of ways, which is really strange. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's another yeah. show, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But, uh, you know, what, what, what we need to do, do what? Apollo twenty is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That there's a lot of that on that that uh, that, that sci-fi program. You know, they show the the mummified body, or at least some of the footage of really? it. Yeah, and stuff like oh, that. I so, find yeah, it. you need to check it out. You know, it's uh, yeah. I won't, I won't go any further into it because we're almost out of time. But uh, right. it's definitely something you should check out because it's right up your alley, man. Sounds like it. <laughs> Well, we do. We do have uh, only just a few minutes uh, left. Uh, Olav wanted to uh, uh, tell us uh, uh, the the title of your book, where people can find it, and uh, uh, websites and uh, other interesting things. Well, it's called the the Secret Space Age. Um, you can find it at Amazon. Uh, you can also find it at Anomalies dot net, a n o m a l i e s dot net. Um, I'm currently working with uh, Larry Overman to do a a kind of weekly uh, TV show over on TeslaWolfMedia.com. Uh, we got some great stuff over there. Uh, I worked on a fantastic book um, called Ark of the Covenant and Other Ancient Weaponry um, that you can find through Anomalies.net or a Conspiracy Journal, obviously. Um, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> that's a lot of us. Yeah, well, and uh, and you've got you've got a a chapter coming up in uh, in 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 my book soon to be released called the uh, strange and supernatural history of the of of America. Oh, yeah. uh, Tim Be- Tim Tim Beckley is still uh, going back and forth on uh, what the exact title is going to be. So, uh, <laughs> I you know. can't wait. So, as soon as I know, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. But uh, we're we're in the final stages of putting that together. So <laughs> I, I am going to be on America on Earth sometime, apparently in September, uh, talking about the wall. So cool. Oh, cool. And uh, where uh, where will we be able to see that? Uh, History Two History Channel. Yeah. Yeah. 
that uh, History, History Channel too. Correct. So, so you did you is that the is that Scott Walters show? That is Scott Walters show. So, so how how was that? How was interacting with Scott? Was he was he pretty cool? He was amazingly cool. Uh, the cool. it was a yeah, it, it it was a wonderful experience. I, I'm I'm really proud I'm on that show. Good, good. All right, fantastic. Well, guys, we are definitely out of time here. So, uh, Olaf, thank you very much uh, once again for uh, being uh, with us. Uh, as always, the, the the time goes by so quickly, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to have you on again sometime soon so we can continue this conversation. Any any time, guys. I love coming. We appreciate on. it, man. Big time. <laughs> have to come All on. right. Yep. All right. Well, Mike, uh, another great show. And yes. uh, so uh, to everyone out there, thank you very much for listening. I'm Tim Swartz. You have been listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Be sure to tune in next week. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, Tim Beckley will uh, be with us with uh, one of his great guests. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Olav, again, thank you very much. And we will see you all again sometime soon. So take care. If you want to get a thrill, if you want to see the sights, jump right in. I got an unidentified flying object. Yeah. Let's go 